We've been told to live like Jesus, but have we learned how to truly do that? The Bible is full of nuance and truth that can be lost in translation if read without context. And we want to help you navigate it. This is the Icon Podcast, a community of trained readers reflecting Jesus. Today, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Mark. Last episode, we focused on Mark 12, oddly enough. And now we'll go back to the beginning and pick up in Mark 1, verses 1 through 11. Michael and Jason, the gang is back together here for uh, the second episode of this new season. And I'm pretty sure I heard that Michael is angry like normal. He has a rant, guys, to share with us. What are you angry about now? Well, let me tell you, I'm glad you asked because (laughs) I have a bone to pick. Um, And I picture as I say that I'm, I'm hearing in my head, you know, that Kendrick Lamar song where he starts out, I got a bone to pick. That's, that's what I'm hearing in my head. Um, If you don't know that song, Kendrick Lamar. On many levels, (laughs) on many levels. Yeah, for sure. Actually, let me say, I, I have two bones to pick. Um, the first one is with you, Gianna, and I'm going to tell you why. Yes, I'm going to tell you why. Let me know. Because, you know, we've announced here we have a new producer, Derek Schneider, and he's doing a great job. And then we li- I listened to we listened to the first episode of uh, the this season, and I was like, you know, my sound was weird, and it didn't sound good. And Derek was like, I'm trying to figure it out and this and that. And then we talked like a week later and he says, oh, I think what it was is you, because I got a new microphone and he says it was backwards and pointing in the wrong direction and the <laughs> and settings were wrong. Yeah, no, he says, and <laughs> listen to connected. this, Jason, listen to this. He says, I was there. Gianna is the one who told me. And I was like, wait, she knew it and she didn't say anything to me. <laughs> Why did she not tell me? Then my microphone is backwards. It's because it didn't sound that awful in my ear. And because Derek had not mentioned that, hey, it sounds off. So I figured we're good to go. But then later on, when I when I heard the episode, you know, I just slightly mm. made a mention to Derek and said, you know, I think it's because the way it's pointed, you know, maybe give him a pointer there. The way it's mark pointed, it's down. backwards. Yeah. Right. And I'll just ignore that. So mark it down. If you have something in your teeth. Gianna is not going to be going to tell you. Yeah, you. no, I'm not hanging. that person. Yep. But okay, here's my bigger bone to pick, though. Okay, so the last couple of weeks, I've been seeing online this post, and this is not the first time this has happened, and mm-hmm. it it kind of drives me insane. And let me say at the beginning, I don't want to demean anybody who's seen this post or shared it or make you feel bad or whatever, but. Oh my goodness, it drives me nuts. It's it's about the Tetragrammatron, right? The name of God in the Old Testament, Yahweh, and the the okay. the YHWH or the Yuhe Yahweh, yep, yep. however you say it, right? And it's got a picture <laughs> okay. of lungs, and then it's this long explanation of how the name of God is actually an onomatopoeia for breathing. And God set it up that way so that every time you inhale and exhale, you're saying the name of God. And when babies, their first breath, they're saying the name of God. And even atheists on their deathbed are saying the name of God. And isn't it so beautiful? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, Yeah. that that would be beautiful if it was true. (laughs) But it's (laughs) wrong. Right. And Santa isn't real, kids. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i hope yeah. there's no kids listening to the podcast you're ruining <laughs> send uh, your letters beautiful to story yeah well okay wow. yeah yeah it's is it beautiful sure but right, right. it's not true but if you're not yeah, you yeah. or Jason and you're someone like me who literally does not see the red flags right oh, now touche. can you please yeah. share why yeah. you see red flags with this post because like you're saying a lot of people have said it's beautiful and it is a great uh picture of imagery for us to think about and i think it does for those who maybe don't understand the red flags gives us something to connect to because that's a hard word to understand right so, right 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 michael 
what are the red flags that you saw? Because when I first read it, I, I didn't get why you were so furious. And I was like, wow, <laughs> is my brain off? Am I sure. not intelligent? I know, sure. G. Furious is the word. Yeah. Yeah, furious. furious. Makes furious. Like, deep faces red down. And... Yeah. Okay. So that's a good question. No, I think I think the thing to do is I'm not saying everybody has to know, you know, Hebrew or whatever. I'm saying or, that. It, okay. Jason's saying <laughs> the that. The one who speaks Hebrew. The one who, who <laughs> is actually the Hebrew expert. But no, here's my bigger point. Verify things before yeah. you share them. Like, don't just see something and go, oh, that was cool and inspiring. Share, like. Like, my first instinct when I see anything on social media or the internet is I go fact check it. I go yeah. research and I'm like, huh. Because that's always my first thought. Is that true? Not is that, like, touching or emotional to me or cool. It's, right. is it true? And actually, the more cool it sounds, the more I want to know if it's true or not. I, I, I know what you that mean. Makes sense. Same. Yeah. And as a yeah. journalist, like that's how I feel about most news stories that circulate is people should really dive a little deeper. But when it comes to something like this, where I am not an expert in this realm, right. I guess right. I, I typically do with scriptures want to go back to scripture like, oh, is this there? But I think with this particular topic, it was like, where how would you even know? How would right. I well, know? Right. Well, where would you start? Look it up. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. you have to know it, but well, I would say number one, like, you know, if you've if you've not heard that thing before at all, then that's kind of a red flag for me. Like, okay, not a red flag that it's wrong, but a red flag that I should look that up. I've never heard that before. Haven't heard what? Um, whatever it is. If okay. it's something completely new, then I want to look that up. As okay. as one of my favorite professors one time said years ago, if if somebody teaches something that's never been taught in the history of the church before, it's probably heresy. So, one, <laughs> if I've never heard it, yeah. I'm going to look it up. Number wow, two. Wow, that's good. As a red flag is when people say things like, the rabbis say, or yeah. and it's really vague, right? Yeah, it's like, kind of like okay, some ma I, I magician's know, like, hand which, waving. Yeah. yeah, which rabbi? When? Yeah. What are your sources for that? And on this particular post, I actually searched it out and looked it up, and as it seems like it's some woman who wrote it, you know, a couple decades ago or 10 years ago or something. It was basically saying like, wouldn't it be cool if this was true? And oh, yada, yada. And then it sort of like a game of telephone got yeah. passed yeah. a couple of times. Right, right, right. To, and it's just not, and I've seen other things like this. Like I remember years ago, there was one about um, Jesus in the book of John folding the grave cloth and what that actually was, was like mm. Jews would fold the napkin and place it on their plate. And it meant oh. I'm coming back and all this. And yeah, like, yeah, that, is, yeah. that sounds really cool. Absolutely not true, but really cool. But I see yeah. things like this kind of regularly that Christians share that just aren't true. And, and whether it's things about the Bible or, you know, contemporary news things, like, I just urge us to be more people of the truth to look things up before you share it and verify it. Yeah, but what about good. this particular one is untrue, Jason? What do you see? Because you also have said that you see red flags with this. So what is untrue about the statement well, of this post? Yeah. I, and I, I, it's funny now that you shared what it's about. I, I, I actually... I didn't. I'm embarrassed. I didn't read it. I, I just, I thought I knew what it was Jason about. Jason shared it 45 it, times. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, now, now I, I know, um, that's what I had assumed was the, the point, you know, I, so uh, let, let me, um, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I can describe, or from my perspective, explain the, the thinking with stuff like that. And so to, to be fair, the the divine name in the the Hebrew scriptures is a very um, uh, complicated uh, discussion. There 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 is um, there's a lot happening. There's all kinds of tradition and um, uh, accepted tradition, new tradition, uh, you know, the, the Masoretic text has a reading tradition for the divine name. 
um, that has made it into our English Bibles. And so there, there is a, there's a lot to work through, but so much of the divine name is kind of uh, cloaked in ambiguity. And because it's so mysterious, it, and it almost feels like there was a time when scribes were trying to uh, preserve mystery around the divine name. And so it, it gives way to this kind of trying to peek beneath the veil and make sense of something that's uh, uh, baffling, right? Um, uh, in, some, uh, in some circles, the divine, God is called the ineffable. And that's that's because it's just hard to even describe what the name of God might be or mean. And so this kind of interpretive move to say that, you know, okay, the, the divine name, because it has, it sounds like breathing, like that's very creative. And I'll admit that's very beautiful. Um, and I, I personally don't know if there's anything wrong with imagining that our breathing in and breathing out is a sign of the presence of God. Um, I, I probably wouldn't interpret the divine name as like that's there. Um, and so I think I, I share Michael's concern be, because, and it's, it's a, con it's a concern born of wanting people to, to build their thinking about scripture in the right way. Um, and, this is kind of, um, it's flimsy in terms of making some kind of historical argument, but it is pretty. I don't, I don't think the Lord's going to send anybody to hell because they think that's what God's name means. Right. Uh, yeah. And that's the, why I said. Same, right. At the same time though, it's, it's, I'll say it this way, and this is being charitable. It's creative. It's, so basically... It's it's a stretch of something that we just don't know. So trying to okay. give a definitive yeah. answer for something we don't know. Now, exactly. Now, here's the thing. Think of this. The sermon on Sunday is effectively a stretching out of text, too. And this is one of the great gifts of the rabbis, their, their ability to read text and see connections. There's, there's points where you're reading the rabbis like, what in the world? How did they get from this passage to that thought? And it's because for them, the text had a certain elasticity and room for imagination and, and playfulness. Um, we in, the, in our setting don't tend to read texts like that. Um, and so it, there's this, um, I think we're in a moment where there's a, 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 more now than ever a, a real hunger for that kind of creative reading of scripture because it is beautiful. But my question as someone who's really interested in the text is, is, is that, is that really um, built in uh, at the level of the text or is that us just wanting to see it? And I, I would suggest with this, although it's really, really nice, um, I don't, I don't think that's um, the divine name. That's not your takeaway. <laughs> there's yeah. more to the divine name than that. Like there's yeah. a lot there, but that is not the primary discussion, whether or not it's the breathing. Um, so yeah. anyways, I don't know. And, and, yeah. and let me say this. I appreciate the balance of that. I'll admit that maybe I'm a become the old man, get off my lawn sort of <laughs> area. Don't say anything, Gianna. I see you leaning towards the microphone right now, but um, my takeaway, my point is whether something is true or not, verify it before you share yeah, it. I, As a I could co-sign that. I that agree. is an important point. And that and makes because what if it's that makes right, sense. What if it's some? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that makes sense for what we're trying to do here at the Icon Podcast: being yeah, trained yeah, yeah. readers, reflecting yeah. Jesus, and and so always for us to keep in mind what the idea of being trained. Mm -hmm readers mean and i think um michael makes a good point i mean social media has such a big impact on people and for those that haven't spent the time in the scriptures long enough to um have yet reached the point where they're trained in the scriptures uh it can be confusing sometimes to parcel through all the different Agreed. posts um even someone like me like who can be emotional um, and a post like that can make me feel good, you know? So right. I think it's a great reminder, Michael, even though your little old yes, man rant yes, went yes. on and on. It is a good reminder to, if we see something on social media, news, scripture-based, anything, 
really like take a second, think about it before you reshare it because social media meet, re, um, reaches so many people. There you go. And l- let me say one last thing here, just because okay, I we'll probably never thing, come, back. We Put move on on come back to this. The, the, the idea that you'd pronounce God's name as Yahweh is also, uh, it's, it is guesswork. Um, the fact it that he's called, that. it says that it, in the post, it, it, right? And the fact that he's called the Lord is important, and especially when we're reading the New Testament, that language is important. So I, I think um, you're right in the go look, go work through this stuff. Don't just start sharing stuff that's not right. Okay. Let's maybe, go. I'm sorry. maybe this should be a bonus episode sometime. There's yeah, nothing going good. on yeah. here. Um, but you know, we are here to discuss. Mark, and we're going to continue on with that starting in chapter one instead of chapter 12, like you guys did last week. But lots of good stuff last episode to kind of prepare us for what we're going to see for the rest of Mark. Mm, So, see what happens when you're not here, Gianna? (sighs) Yeah, you guys go off the rails. We go to chapter 12 and all over the place. (laughs) Well, I'm back and we're back on track. Chapter one, verses one through 11. Michael, do you want to read that for us? I do. I would love to. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. And I should have said before we started reading, of course, our first step, Reading glasses on <laughs> as we look at the text, but I failed to do that. So there you go. We're all nice. jumping into this, getting used to our new flow. Reading yeah, glasses yeah. on. Um, you know, where where do we start with this? Because I have so many questions as someone that is uh, newer and younger into this deep dive type of style of reading. So, Jason, where is a good place to start when we're... Uh, with our reading glasses on here. Oh, um, uh, well, this is an unusually dense set of verses. Um, it, I mean, if we had the time, I mean, you just work through each, each word pretty much. (laughs) Um, but I think (laughs) we don't have that time, Jason. I know it. I know. I wish, I wish we did actually, but, um, the, the first, the first line, I mean, the first line, let me call it up. I'm sorry. Um, uh, what is it? You got it in front of you there, Michael, still? Yeah, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Yeah, so, I mean, all right, so, there, you know, beginning, uh, beginning um, has a history in the Bible uh, that uh, suggests a new epic or a new moment. Um, we could say, and this is more clear in John and in Matthew, I think, than it is in in Mark, the way that uh, the those accounts of the gospel open. But be, starting here, beginning, uh, at least for me, harkens back to the very beginning of the Bible, which in Greek it'd be the same word. Um, and so that is to say that uh, what is being told, there's hints of this is a new creation story. It's that that's language from the creation story of Genesis chapter one. Um, so I don't want to push that too far, but then the next word it, and this is where we could, uh, at least, you know, build a fire and make lunch, set up camp. I don't know, whatever. And that's 
gospel. Evangelu Jesu Christu, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, because there are, well, there are misunderstandings about uh, the word gospel. Uh, there are suggestions and conjectures about what it might mean uh, that I think would be worth unpacking. But then also, um, we call uh, the book Katamarkon, uh, according to Mark, the, the gospel, according to Mark. So there's also for us this this kind of literature called gospel, and we have four accounts of the gospel in the New Testament. So I, uh, for my yeah. money, that's a good place to to spend some time. Th- thoughts there? Well, let me let me add to that, Jason, and say, you know, so if I'm uh, quiet, having my quiet time, right? Um, I, I was trying to think of an alliteration, but I, I froze on a name that starts with Q. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, I can't Quincy. think of an alliteration there. Uh, I'll go quiet time, Clint. Okay. Um, wow. if I'm, if I'm quiet time, Clint, and I read this passage, <laughs> I see, time, okay, Clint. good news or gospel. Well, I know what that means. That means that, uh, you know, I'm talking about Jesus died for the forgiveness of my sins. Uh, I got some stuff about John the Baptist baptism and repentance. All I right, know what right, those right. mean. Yep. So, um, okay. Uh, they, they were baptizing and repentance, and then I get down a little farther and I go, well, now I'm actually kind of confused because Jesus was getting baptized. And if baptism is because I'm a sinner and I'm having oh. my sins forgiven, why is yes, Jesus yes. getting baptized? And and so, you know, this this passage is a combination of words that I know and I'm familiar with and right. then concepts that I don't. So that's yep. the reading glasses. But then, of course, we'd want to go into our next step the time machine. And I I think, you know, I'll just say this at the beginning, then let you guys jump off. But you mentioned gospel and that's one of those words. I read that and I go, Oh, I know what the gospel is. And I would say, well, wait, stop. Yeah. Like it's already settled. Do do we know what that means? Because there are terms that Mark is going to use directly or allude to like gospel and salvation and baptism that, we think we're pretty sure what they mean and how they're being used, but it actually has big ramifications, right? Because if we go in saying just, okay, mind is turned off. I know gospel is the message that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's all it is. That has massive ramifications down the road. As we start reading the Bible, how we see the purpose of churches and what we're doing in the world and all kinds of stuff like that. Totally. in, in stepping into the time machine, we want to take a step back and challenge, I would say, especially the concepts that we think we already know for sure. Right, right, right. And this this word uh, could be a confrontation uh, for us because of what you just said. It's, it's already, it's already a, um, we already know what's meant by gospel. Um, and, and the fact that this Mark begins the way he does is to say it's intentional is an understatement. I mean, it's like it it is. I mean, he he's doing something by beginning as he does the beginning of the gospel. Uh, um, and uh, so th- there's a there's a few things, and I could probably I'm probably more comfortable comfortable with what I'd call. Uh, old, old Testament understandings of the word, um, and I'm I'm very aware of Greco-Roman um, uh, understandings of the word. Though I've, uh, so I I know the literature that's out there. I've read lots of it. Uh, but uh, so Michael, you may be able to speak more to the Greco-Roman side of a word like gospel, and it's probably more useful the Greco-Roman stuff with Paul than it is here. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But certainly, the, the the what we call the Hebrew Bible meaning of gospel is on display here, um, mm-hmm. and and for especially uh, the book of Isaiah and especially chapters forty six on through sixty six in Isaiah, this language comes up in a very technical sense, 
and gospel in those chapters is about the, the announcement that the Lord is making his way toward the exiles. Um, the exodus from Egypt was a story about God bringing the people out to himself. The story of the exile in Isaiah is about God going to meet the exiles. God is coming to them. And that was the announcement. The, 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 the Hebrew word basar, which um, just means to announce uh, usually good tidings, except for one instance in Samuel. Uh, is it in Sa- I think it's in Samuel. Um, but it, it, so it's an announcement about God coming to the exiles, which meant the end of the exile. So in chapter 52 of Isaiah, it says, uh, you know, how, how beautiful is the one who brings glad tidings, the one who announces peace. And we get this word, uh, let's see, in Greek, menos, the, the one who proclaims good news, uh, has beautiful feet. <laughs> because he's bringing, and then he goes on to say, he's bringing this news, your God reigns. And that's the message. So when you hear language from, as, as someone who's familiar with Hebrew scripture, and you hear the beginning of the announcement of good news, that's probably a, almost a more helpful way to phrase it for us who are from, too familiar with the word gospel, uh, which is just a, an, a, an older English way of saying good news, uh, but the announcement of good news, our minds are, should be immediately transported to that moment when God makes an announcement that the exile is over and that he is in charge. So I think all of that is built right in to the phrase, but as modern Westerners, we hear something else. So that can be hard. That that can be a challenge. No, but then there's the Greco-Roman side. And I don't know if you want to uh, maybe describe some of that, Michael, the whole uh, Octavian's birthday stuff. Yeah, let, let me just say that real quick. And then, G, if you want to jump in. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, there is, of course, that that one famous quote of Octavian's birthday, but this, uh, which uses that word gospel to announce the coming of a king. Yeah. And that's where new, I think new it's ruler. perfect. Yeah, the new yeah, ruler. N- new ruler, and, there'll be peace now. And that's that's where this word is so perfect and brilliant because it it carries from the Hebrew everything that you said, and then as they're now speaking Greek, that word in Hebrew right. is translated with Same a word, word that the Romans used right. to announce a new ruler, to announce a good news about a a new reign, and so I think that captures perfectly what Mark is trying to do here which is, yes, the Old Testament's being fulfilled. That's his focus. The kingdom is coming, the reign of God, and his people is here. But at the same time, there is this confrontation with the powers of the world. When God is announcing his rule, that means, and the little boys playing for power in the sandbox are going to, that's going to confront them. It's going to confront Playtime is over. (laughs) Playtime is over. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. There's a, a more transcendent kind of good news, this declaration of a new reign. So I think you have all of that going on. Totally. And exile is big. And we'll see that with the quotation from Isaiah. It is the end of an exile. And as Old Testament readers, we should be scratching our head and say, well, wait a second. I thought the exile ended when Ezra brought back uh, people from Babylon or from wherever they were dispersed. He brought them back to Jerusalem. So the exile ended a long time ago. Well, not according to Mark, not according to Matthew and Luke. The exile has been ongoing for some time. Because they were still separated from God's presence. (laughs) And his rule. And exactly. And in yeah. a deeper meaning, even that humans are separate. Yes, human beings in general are in a kind of exile to a deeper and more uh, dangerous power than Rome or yeah. Babylon or Greece or whatever else. So, so big, big, big story built into this little word gospel, which is like a briefcase that you have to open up and unpack or a suitcase. Yeah, it sounds like we have a lot of big 
big things happening just in in the first verse. We obviously highlighted gospel and good news. We also see that it (laughs) talks about Jesus as the Messiah. We see also Mm. God's son. So to me, there's like three big things that that are already addressed in that very first verse. But before we get to some of those other ones, um, I was just wondering, and, and for those who, you know, maybe they're just starting out to read this book. Um, what is the purpose of the gospel according to Mark and who wrote it? Like those type of things that people may wonder from the very beginning, like why is this even written? Who is it for? Should we be looking at it from our perspective now or from the perspective of those that were reading it when it was first written? Can you guys help us out a little bit there? Yeah, I'll start with that. And then Jason, if you want to finish off. Sure. Uh, those are really great questions, and we're going to answer <laughs> some of those as we go rather than, you know, taking an episode or two to do that all up front, which you, you might normally want to do. But I I think um, we're going to get into some of the major themes, and, and one of them for Mark is really the way of the cross. It's right. Jesus right, is right, the right. Son of God. You know, let's see how he lived out his life. How did he accomplish God's purposes? And what we're going to see as we go on is he accomplished God's purposes in establishing his reign, not by coming and taking power, but by actually being a victim to Rome's power mm, and, mm, and mm. setting a paradigm for us. But I think as far as who it was written to, I think that's a really great and insightful question because I, I actually think that um, Mark, more than any other, and there, we'll see some clues to this as we go through the book, was it's written, you know, a generation after Jesus' resurrection. And I think you have some clues in Mark that there is a church that has um, started to become seduced by Rome's power and the comfort that they bring and the advantage and privilege and all of those things that Roman society was built on. And there is a temptation to abandon the way of the cross or not to take it up. And so Mark has crafted this gospel in a, in a lot of ways as a challenge to the church. Right, we right, tend to read right. the gospel as, oh, well, this is just for people to discover the first time who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. But he's writing yeah. to people who should know this already. Oh, they know these stories, <laughs> yeah. and he's going to craft them in a way to look us, them, and us, you know, as future generations in the eye and say, do you really see who Jesus is? Oh, do I you really that. understand what he's about? Because And he's going to emphasize the fact that his own disciples missed it. So don't think that we can't, that the church can't. Right. And that's the challenge of Mark that we're going to look at throughout. Jason, what do you Love got it. on that? Uh, it, it's... It, uh, I, I suppose it's it's more of some of that. Um, I I um, and this gets into what we forgot to describe, which is the word gospel as a kind of literature, mm-hmm. which is a, a big discussion. And so um, there's more narrative happening here, right? Story is the theme here in in what we call gospel. Um, so whereas you know the the apostle Paul is more is associated with letter writing and more clear instructions. This is more like story, or I I like to call biblical story God on display, Um, because the story itself is a command, in a sense. Uh, Mark will never say, go do A, B, and C as a result of reading this, but the whole vision of Jesus's life and death is a command. You wouldn't call the cross a command, or would you? <laughs> and so it's this learning to read story and make sense of what that might mean, which is a little harder for us. We like the whole do this and do that. Um, but Mark Mark is especially, um, especially interested in, and we'll see this uh, throughout, but mystery and... Um, uh, revelation, in a sense, I guess is the mm-hmm. word. Some people have called this a kind of apocalyptic. That is, um, Mark's world is full of symbolic meaning. And uh, God is, in a sense, being revealed by Mark's story, but it happens slowly with all kinds of mysteries. And we'll see even the, the disciples struggle to make sense of 
um, what's going on. So whatever gospel is as literature, it's not a letter. It's something else. Um, what precisely gospel might be as literature is a big discussion, but we'll, I think more than talking about what it might be, it's just it'll just be good to look at it and try to learn what to do with it. Um, because we're going to have to use our creative muscles um, if we're going to, if it's going to change us. Because I do think Mark wants what Michael said, it's the way of the cross. Mark wants the church to look like Jesus's life and death. As we're in the time machine still, we see the scripture takes us back to Isaiah the prophet and quotes it at the beginning of this this passage. Why do you think that Mark is bringing us to that passage in the Old Testament? Michael? Go go ahead, Jason. I'll let you take that (laughs) one. (laughs) Well, um, uh, so Mark lied to you. Uh, He doesn't quote Isaiah. Um, He does eventually, but his his first quotation is is actually a a kind of amalgam of two two other passages first, and um, so it, it it's it's interesting. That's a whole other discussion. Why he says in the prophet Isaiah, he's really driving at the message that Isaiah sets forth. But before he gets to a word from Isaiah, and that's that would be our verse. The first time Isaiah actually uh, is quoted is in verse three. So verse two is, is um, this kind of uh, uh, passages that help interpret the quotation from Isaiah. And let, let me say this is, this isn't involved and it'll probably bore uh, most people listening. We, this would be like a, <laughs> we'd have to do a cutting room floor episode if we really wanted to get into that. But, but the, um, but he quotes Exodus. Uh, let's see, it's Exodus, uh, Exodus twenty-three, verse twenty, uh, and he's quoting the Greek translation of Exodus twenty-three twenty, which would have been uh, in Hebrew. And he quotes Malachi three, verse one, the Greek version of Malachi, and both of those are um, uh, descriptions of God coming um, and sending uh, his presence via an angel uh, to pave his way. And it's interesting because if you look at the passage, it says, uh, uh, in the prophet Isaiah, it stands written, I am sending my herald ahead of you. That's not what Isaiah says, but that's that's what um, uh, Malachi and Exodus say. I'm, s- I'm sending it ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Clear a straight path for him. Uh, Now, again, the Isaiah verse is right at the very beginning. It's actually right next to where we get the word gospel in verse 9. This is a quotation from uh, Isaiah 40, verse 3. But but it's a passage about the exile, again. And Mark wants to create this this image of the end of the exile, about Israel being delivered. That's the whole point of the Exodus, Malachi, and uh, Isaiah mixture of these verses, because it's, it's trying to describe that God is going to be with, quote, you, and he's going to send a messenger ahead of you, and, and by you, he means the Lord, <laughs> clearing a path for the Lord. Now, this is important. Last thing I'll say, because there's there's a lot here and I don't want to get in the weeds, but but if we go on to read Isaiah, this is from verse 40, verse 3. If we read by the time we get to 40, verse 5, it says that this way that is to be prepared during the exile is the way from God to the discouraged people. And then it says, and all flesh. And that's important. That's really important for Mark, and it's important for Isaiah. And this quotation from Isaiah is alluding to all of that history. All flesh shall see the glory of the Lord. 
Now we get into discussions with people like Jehovah's Witnesses where they say, well, the New Testament never says Jesus was God. And I want to say, have you read the first three verses of Mark? That's exactly what Mark is saying. He is saying here, this Jesus, the Son of God, is in fact the same Lord from Isaiah who will come to the people and all flesh, all flesh, not just Israel, all flesh shall behold his glory together. So Mark is opening with a bang here. He's saying the exile's over. God himself is coming to you. Not some manifestation of God, not some good news about God, but God himself is preparing a way between us and him. And he's coming to us. We're not going to him. He's coming to us. And so that gets us ready for John baptizing at the Jordan. But there are uh, a lot of other things happening. But to summarize, uh, this little blend of quotations is, is doing some seriously heavy lifting in these this first three verses. Okay. Something that would go uh, unnoticed by an untrained reader. That well, it would definitely, from. it would, totally. That's, that's what I was going to say, is if I'm sitting there and I'm a little overwhelmed and intimidated and starting this study with us and like, oh my goodness, I wouldn't have known any of that. Yes. That's where the work comes in, right? You could is, know that though. You you could know that. You, you've yeah. got to look when, when you see, you know, there are little notes in your Bible that tell you where mm-hmm. these quotes are from. Bingo. And this is an important point. What What is not happening, and I've seen even people write books about how the New Testament writers read the Old Testament, how they used it and how they took lines out of context and reappropriated them and all that. But that's not what they're right. doing. They're, not at all. When they take one little quote, they're reading in the whole grand context the whole story. of that quote. Bingo. You've got to know the whole story, what's going on, why they're they're including this, what they're really saying. And so that is where the work comes in, is you have to go back to these passages and study you out what they read mean. just a verse. You can't it's like read you said, just the verse. You can't yeah. just you got to you got to soak yourself in the whole story. I think what they call what is it called ellipsis? I think is the idea, or maybe yes. that's wrong. I think but, that's but right. But yeah, yeah, it's evoking not just the words, but the setting from which the words arrive. Yeah, and, and that's so the brilliance about, of New Testament quotation. We talk about contextual and decontextualizing. This is right. contextual reading. Like, what is he really right, saying? Right. right, right. And, you know, how is he using these words? We can't just make assumptions because otherwise we're reading our own culture, our own understanding into the passages. And of course, we're always prone to error, but it's doing the most work we can. And the final thing I'll say here is, Jason, I think it's Watts maybe who suggests, and I've seen some other people do this as well, that you could actually, that, that, um, the way the verses are in Mark, it separates verse one and two, but I think he actually suggests reading it as the beginning of the good news or the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, according to Isaiah the prophet, that that's really oh, what he's yeah. saying there. Well, that would be absolutely fair. And and I, I, I've said this a million times, uh, you want to understand the gospel, no Isaiah. Because that is basically the the authors of the the the, the gospel accounts are like uh, Isaiah's their their playbook, and and you know th- this is the 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 other uh, really ex- I think it's exciting um, idea here is that it's the desert that this news comes that it's it's and John will be seen in the desert but it's a voice crying out. In the wilderness, um, again, it's that whole like. Remember the story of Exodus, the the life, the hardships of the wilderness, the story of exile. But God is going to meet His people in the wilderness. He's preparing a path in the wilderness where no paths can exist. You can't just go walking through the desert. You'll die. (laughs) Everyone knows that. But here God's going to make a path where no path could otherwise be made. It's for this reason that the Dead Sea Scroll community, the Qumran, lived out in the desert. They read Isaiah and they're like, we got to go in the desert. That's where God's going to show up. When he finally comes, it's going to be in the desert. 
And so that's exactly what Mark is doing. He's saying, yep, you were right. He's coming in the desert, but it's, it's not like you thought. Yeah. Wow. I'm starting to think maybe we should have done this passage on, or this episode on just the first three verses of Mark. (laughs) So, so we better move along to John the baptizer here. We're not going to get through this. (laughs) Why do we see John the baptizer so early in this passage? I I feel like it's pretty soon to mention his name in, in, (laughs) in reciting what's happened and recounting everything. Michael, what do you think? <laughs> that, well, I, I actually get stumped by this uh, uh, often. Yeah. Uh, okay. So for me, I, I don't know the exact reasons, but I think there is a point to the fact that the Gospel of Mark does not have a birth narrative. Uh, and so I, oh, I think right, part of right. that is is this idea that Mark is sort of written directly almost as a sermon to challenge the church. They don't need the birth narrative. This is not about uh, telling new people who Jesus is. This is about getting right down to the point. And Mark's very quick. He's concise. He's, you know, almost breathtaking in his language. He's immediately, and then this happened, and he's getting to the point. And on occasion where he does slow down, then you got to say, okay, he's really trying to emphasize something here. Let's pay attention. And so it feels abrupt to jump into John, but I think it makes sense if you see this as a a challenge to a church that is, uh, again, being tempted with the way of Rome and power rather than the way of the cross to say, let's get right to it. Let's go right to Isaiah. This is the good news. And where did that start? It started with John, the herald. That's, you know, so he's kind of laying out his case to jump right in. Which is where the the Old Testament ends. Now, the Hebrew, Hebrew uh, organization of the books of the, the Bible don't end there. But think about it. Malachi ends with, I will send Elijah to you and he will turn the hearts of children back to their parents. I'm paraphrasing and parents back to their children. But the outstanding promise of what we call the Old Testament is that Elijah will return to pave the way for God himself to come. And so John is described as Elijah from what he's wearing, where he's living, what he's doing. John is Elijah. And so John's very presence signals a new moment in world history. So he he presents John. It's another veiled uh, but meaningful way of saying God's coming. Uh, Elijah's Elijah's shown up. He's in the desert. God's on his way. And it's it's not just the desert, right? It's the Jordan River. Think about the Jordan River and that meaning of that boundary between Israel being dislocated, wandering, and then you have the Jordan River, and then on the other side you have Canaan, where they're rested and at home. And John is bringing people down to the Jordan River for a new entry into the promised land. And the baptism, there's a lot of other baptism stuff, but it's, it's, this is a story about a new creation, a new people, a new moment. And so things that I take notice of is a baptism of repentance to forgive sins. We see that. Um, And as we continue on, we see that Jesus himself is getting baptized by John. Um, So what was so different or so different when we see baptism of repentance to forgive sins? Why would that have been uh, noticeable to those hearing this for the first time? I'll I'll jump in on that one, Jason. Yeah, please, and, and please. Just say, I, I think the fact that Jesus is getting baptized should be a clue that, okay, something else <laughs> is going on here, right? Mm-hmm. So if you yeah. read it and you go, wait, I'm confused. Why would Jesus get baptized? I don't think we have to say, okay, now I've got to question what I think about baptism, although that may be well and good in another time to do that is perfectly appropriate um, to examine and understand what we believe in some of those things. But I think it's a clue to say, okay, maybe something else is going on here. And, you know, this gets into, you know, it's, it's somewhat step two, we're in the time machine, but it's also step three, taking a selfie. How are we different? Uh, in, in essence, what's going on here is 
this is a national movement. And Mark gives those, you know, clues that everybody from Jerusalem, everyone was coming out. They were all doing this. And so in that context, this is a baptism saying, I am identifying with what God is doing. I am I am preparing mm-hmm. and joining this group of people who are prepared for whatever God is doing. Because baptism is kind of a symbol of I'm joining a new group of people. That's the, right, you know, whatever right. God is preparing here. It's creation. So it's, a, it's creation. It, yeah, it's, it's totally a it's an event. Yeah, because I mean, think of the story of Genesis. There's deep water, and then there's newness out of the water. And even, right. even, you know, you see the dove, um, you know, it says he sees the heavens splitting open, which is another Isaiah quote um, about God coming. But then he says the dove and the dove is reminiscent of the way the spirit of God is described at the story of creation, where it says, uh, Ruach Elohim merechefet al-mayim, um, where God is hovering. And that word hover is, uh, is the image of a bird. Um and so this is a story about Jesus' baptism. It's a story about creation. Um, he's called God's son, like Israel is called God's son at the other side of the Red Sea. It's it's a new, I love how Michael drew attention to, we're not talking about baptism so that people don't go to hell. We're talking about baptism as a participation in a new creation story. And that's, I'll go on a limb and say, that's uh, kind of what we should be thinking about our own baptisms anyway. But um, I think that's what's going on here is creation language. And that so, makes sense then why Jesus is participating in that, right? It's not— Because it's new creation. It, Everyone's it's, involved. It's new creation. And so it's repentance of the national sin of not being as a people who God called them to be and mm-hmm. identifying yeah. with this new creation. It's what God does when he forms his people. He brings them through water. He's just yeah. kind of followed that it, it, Well pattern. said. Uh, well said. Genesis, yep. the flood, the Red Sea, Jordan. God does yep. that over and over again. And so it's an identification and a preparing for what God is going to do next. I love that. That makes sense. But I do have a question on verse 8 because this is something I have wondered for a while. Mm-hmm. It says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So then why is it important that we still do water baptisms? Uh, like, can you explain to me why it's still necessary or why it's still important and how maybe this verse does not um, necessarily say that you don't need a water baptism anymore? Oh, You'll notice ahead, as you were asking the question, both Jason and I took a big I was like, this is, Mike, this is for Michael. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've had this I'll question for here. five years. So, <laughs> And I, this may be a very deep-weeded well, question. But yeah, I don't think we can fully dive into that, but I'll say this, and Jason, if you want to build on this or redirect it or uh -uh. say it's Uh, it's all wrong. Um, I think think there's some allusions to the Old Testament here, to Ezekiel, the coming together of of water and spirit. Um, I don't think he's saying, I baptize you with water as though saying, um, Jesus will not, you know, mm-hmm. one day, yeah. I don't even know if that's on John's radar. He doesn't necessarily know that's what Jesus is going to do. But I, I actually think what he's doing is carefully distinguishing from yeah. those promises of the water and the spirit. This is the new thing. This is the covenant. Here it is. And so it, it's almost like saying, hey, this is just a precursor. This isn't, this isn't the full yep, deal. Yep, yep. This, is, this isn't the, you know, this is the appetizer, not the meal. Okay. Yeah, this is a preparation moment. I'm getting you yeah. ready. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. Like repent, well, we haven't read it. Repent and believe the good news of the kingdom. This is a get yourselves ready. God's coming to you. Are you ready? Are you in? Are you, are you standing here listening or are you standing here criticizing? The baptism is a pledge of being ready and waiting for the Holy Spirit. Does that answer your question, Gianna? Y- yes, I, I think so. And I think also just my research of understanding the word baptize and it meaning to fully submerge, I don't think that necessarily there is um, a Holy Spirit baptism without submerging in water because I think they went hand in hand with understanding what baptism was back in those times and understanding that. So, but yeah, um, you know, I probably will always have to still wrestle with this a little bit because, you know, to me, it's like, 
oh, what is he saying? So I'll take some more time and we don't have time on, on this podcast, but I think that does help me and get me on a track to continue diving into That's that. Good. In, yeah. in that. And, and let me say this before, um, and maybe this is part of, you know, step three and taking a selfie here. And then we can move on to the final step um, if if that's okay. But I, I, I want to say one more thing here is, you know, we, we again, step two and three kind of overlap. We tend to mm-hmm. do them at the same time. As we're going through the time machine, we're, we're always taking the selfie. And I mentioned at the beginning how we can, you know, think we understand words like gospel and things like that. And then that can have big ramifications for how we apply yeah. uh, the passage. And so... With a passage like this, if I go in thinking every time I see the word gospel, it, it what it's laying is the foundation of Jesus died so that my sins can be forgiven. That's true. I wouldn't uh, dream of denying a bit of that. But, <laughs> right. but the gospel is bigger than that as well. It is this proclamation that Jesus is king. So it's not just about, oh, I got to go tell as many people as I can to get them a get out of hell free card so they can, you know, avoid the eternal damnation of hell. But it is, it's, it's, so it's not so much about us escaping here and going on to another uh, realm or form of living after we die. It's about God coming here and becoming King, establishing his kingdom. That's the gospel. And so, yes, we can be forgiven in Christ and have our sins forgiven and, be redeemed, but there's also a really important aspect about establishing right. God's it's kingdom. Fallout. It's fallout. Our, yeah. our, our, our being forgiven is a product of the announcement. N.T. Wright's easy-to-read little book, which everyone should uh, own, is the Simply Good News. And he says uh, wonderfully, he says, the gospel is an announcement, not advice. It's about right. an announcement that something that's happened uh, and you have to deal with what's happened. Um, the the and, salvation and so, uh, is a product of it. Yeah, and so that will have implications down the road for how we approach uh, current affairs and right. issues of of justice, and you know, helping out the poor and the marginalized, and the importance of that. All those things have implications if we think we know what a word means and then sort of close ourselves off as we read, we will miss things. And I think that's what I did as a young Christian reading about baptism in general and having a very narrow mindset of what it was just because I came from something else. But as we move forward and taking a selfie. Well, you were the only one who ever did that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, I feel alone. No, (laughs) as we move forward um, in the taking a selfie portion, when it says in verse 11, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Should we take that to mean what God says about us when we too get baptized? Oh, wow. That's a great Ooh, question. That is a good question. I wasn't ready for that. Because I am reading uh, one of uh, the Wright's awesome. books, Mark for Everyone. And one of the biggest oh, cool. takeaways that I did get from it, um, and as I was talking to my husband about it, was just... This idea that we don't pay enough attention in today's world um, that God looks at us this way and says, you are my wow. dear, dear child. I'm delighted in you. And in so many people that I come in contact with, they have a struggle with really seeing them that themselves that way to God. Yeah. And so seeing this um, as God's response to what Jesus does in um in accordance with the new way of things happening. This was God's response to him. You know, would it be, uh, would it make sense to think he would think the same way of us or is Jesus special? Thank you for that. That's, that's a great thought. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great thought. I I would say yes to both of these questions. Me me, me too. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I think there is some, some in there for us and yes, Jesus is special Here's what here's what jumps out at me though, and, and I think this is sort of a corollary to that. Is let, let me ask you, Gianna, at this point in the text, what has Jesus done? Yeah, right. Um, he's arrived on the scene and kind of followed the way of what the kingdom's going to be now. Yeah, he he has done nothing. Really, yeah, like, except be baptized, right? He's done nothing. Yeah, 
And yet, contextually here, we find you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. It's pretty awesome. As he's entering into identifying with the work of God. And so um, I do think there's a a takeaway there for us in uh, our identity is, yes, we become sons of God. Uh, Do you know, it's that's great. This morning I read this, these 11 verses uh, before we we met. And when I came to those verses uh, or that verse, I thought, because I listen to a podcast that every once in a while they have these questions and they'll ask, what would you like God to say um, at your death or at your resurrection, whatever. Um, And I thought this, like, this is what I'd want God to say. Like, you are my son. I am well pleased. And so it's funny you ask that. And there's precedent for it because in Exodus chapter four with Israel, God says to Pharaoh, you kill my son, I'll kill yours. And so like, it's, it's this whole, like God's looks at Israel as his children. Um, and that's, I think what Jesus is doing. He's just becoming Israel within himself. What Jesus, what God is saying to Jesus is unique insofar as Jesus at this moment is all people. He is within himself, what God wants to say to all creation. So I I love that. Um, It's very affirming. Yeah. As we wrap up, um, and so step four, kingdom come, what does this whole passage tell us about God? You can't stop him. He's coming. And the question isn't, will he come? It's, are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) And what are we doing about it? It seems. Yeah, like. exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Are, are you ready? Are you, have you showed up? Are you paying attention? Are you listening? Well, let me, let me jump in, Jason, and say what, what's so important about that is again, the direction that you mentioned there. He's coming. He's God coming. God is right, coming. Right, right. God is coming this way. We have tended so much in modern Christianity to flip that around and make it all about us going towards yep. him. And the yep. New Testament is really about him coming towards us and what that yes. will mean yes, for yes. us as the as the new age breaks into this present realm. And so there will be a choice of cosmic realms to choose from. There will mm-hmm. now be a whole new way to live. And, and that's what Mark is going to get at is we want to follow that theme as we read through Mark. Man, which way do I embrace really? Is it the way of power in the present age and advantage and self and all those things, or is it the way of the cross? Yeah. And so that that idea of God coming to us tells us a lot about God, the fact that he wants right. to come towards us. But then that calls us to say, man, I, I've got to sort of re-examine and drop maybe some of the things that I thought or presumed or assumed I knew Because, again, this is written to a church to challenge them. And we'll see this theme in Mark come up like, do you really see? Do you really see who Jesus is and what he's doing? That's what I think we can take away as a collective and as individuals from this is, man, we got to hang on and be ready to go on this ride with Mark because it's going to be challenging. Amen. And we saw that in our last episode. Do we really see the Sadducees? Did they really see what was happening? Did they really understand? And they kind of missed the point. So hopefully as we're diving deeper into Mark, we'll continue to see what is God's point. What what should we be taking away from all of this? A uh, great long discussion. Um, <laughs> she and, says uh, subtly. <laughs> well, you know, I we figured adding myself back into the discussion, I would add a little bit uh, to it. So it makes sense. We're a little longer today. Um, but great discussion. I think it, it gives me somewhere to start, start actually trying to understand this because it was a lot for someone like me who does not understand all the background context, who doesn't understand the words, who doesn't understand much more than what I've seen at face value in step one with my reading goggles on. Yeah, fair enough. Appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate the yeah. fact, Gianna, that you listened to the last episode, even though you weren't part of the discussion. Um, I, so, th- thank you for for that. That that's encouraging. 
Um, but I do want to say as we end here that we are the first couple sections of Mark, the first few sections here, we're going to go through together. And then what we're going to start doing in the podcast is we're going to start skipping some sections and we'll tell you, we'll give you plenty of notice because we want people then to study and learn how to study those sections for themselves. And we'll be talking soon here in the future about we'll then have some ways that you can give us feedback from what you're learning and even ask us questions and have an interaction with us about the passages that you're doing on your own. So we'll be giving all that information soon. So cool. Well, if you're enjoying our podcast, we'd love it if you like, comment, subscribe, or even leave us a review. You can also send us a note to iconpodcast at gmail.com. That's E-I-K-O-N podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to reach us, mostly if you'd like to reach Michael. <laughs> but we also want to give a huge shout out to De La Noise Productions for our music. And we couldn't do our show without our producer, Derek Schneider. Uh, this and, and James Griffin on the on the artwork. I forgot to mention that. Thank you, James Griffin, DJ Chris, for the icon you, tag. If you haven't seen the artwork, it's dope. Well, we look forward <laughs> to our next episode here at the Icon Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week. Peace.